You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. All right, turn in your copy of God's Word then to John 17. We pick up in verse 6, just where we left off last week and didn't uh, Seth do such a great job with the first portion in, uh, uh, in this uh, prayer of Jesus. Uh, man, it was so encouraging as we uh, were there. He, uh, now we come to the second portion where Jesus is, is praying to the Father last week. The saw that there Jesus turns his eyes to heaven and prays for his glory, that he would be glorified in our eyes and also would return back to uh, the throne there in heaven to the glory that he had uh, before uh, time began. And so today in this section, he's praying for our security and our sanctification. And next week, as we close out this prayer, it will, he, Jesus will pray for our unity, our unity around our beliefs and our love for Christ and Jesus has been teaching these things uh, uh, then throughout this meal that began with uh, his foot washing and then uh, talking about his betrayal and then kind of the culminating uh, sermon, if you will, of all of Jesus' life. And as the meal is coming to a close, he then turns his eyes to the Father and prays. Now, in our American culture, when are we taught to pray in a meal? Before, right? We're, we're taught to pray before we eat. And if we don't, if we dare stick our fork in that food, what will likely happen? Yeah, lightning bolt, probably, right? <laughs> Bam! And uh, you'll be taken out. If not a lightning bolt, then maybe mama's... Or wait, no, 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 no. You might be poisoned or choked or something would happen, but we don't touch our food here. And I guess if we really want to be like more biblical or, you know, we're, we're supposed to like live lives like Jesus, if we want, then maybe we have to throw our American culture out the window and we just need to dig in and then pray after we eat. Should we change it all? Yeah. Maybe, maybe so. I don't know. I guess if we want to follow that trend, then parents will probably have to like wash our kids' feet as we begin and then preach a sermon while we are eating and all that. And then, well, no. I'm only joking. I'm only joking and all that. That would be drawing some unbiblical and bad conclusions from a text like this, right? Be bad hermeneutics as we are to draw, like, we have to be very careful in our study of God's word of uh, extrapolating practices or doctrines, especially from the events in, in biblical narratives. That's, we, that we, we would be getting into some shaky ground there, so... So we don't want to do that, right? We want to avoid errors like that. So how about we just read the text and then draw out actually what it is that Jesus is praying for more than like when he is praying. Shall we do that together? Never that. Let's just uh, read God's word here. I'll read it out of the ESV and you follow along in your Bible here. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. I'm going to just draw, just go back to verse 1 for a second. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. Jesus is speaking these words. He lifts up his eyes to heaven, and he says, Father. So he's addressing the Father, okay, and all this. So jump down to verse 6 now. Jesus speaking. He says, I have manifested your name. That's he's speaking about the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. 
and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, this is God's word for God's people and a tongue twister of sorts of a, of a prayer packed with a theology. And so can I just pray and ask God's help for us to understand this again? Bow with me. God in heaven, here we are, just before your word, wanting to understand it, wanting to apply it. And so we need your help. Holy Spirit, guide us in the truth. Make us understand the, 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 the truth of what is uh, captured here in Jesus' prayer. Help us understand it, not just so we can uh, have it in our mind, but so that we can love you more, we can obey you more faithfully, and we can worship you more fervently. So we need your help in that now. Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Here we are, as I said, in a, you know, in a passage of Scripture, in a prayer that is just intertwined with this like rich, deep theology and instruction. Jesus, as we'll see here towards the end, asks the Father for three things, but the, those gems are like encrusted in, these, in these, the interconnected activity of what Jesus has done and is doing that he refers to, but also the work that the Father did and, uh, and in the past that has this like ongoing effect and also how the disciples have responded to the Father and Son's, and son's work. And so it's this interconnected thing, but here's what I would submit to you is at the bottom of all this or the central point of what Jesus is praying about here. Write this down. It's on the screen. And I think simply at the core of this text is this, that apart from the work of the Father and Son, we wouldn't be saved nor sent on mission. Of all the things that Jesus is praying here, and we're going to examine it in, in pretty uh, close detail in, in a minute, but don't walk away without understanding this about the text, that apart from the work of the Father and the Son, we would neither be saved nor sent 
on mission. And that's what Jesus is, is getting at here. Because Jesus understands this truth, he now prays. He is interceding on our uh, behalf. And it's in light of these uh, intertwined activities that Jesus prays that God, uh, would you keep and consecrate your people? Or to say it a different way, would you secure and, and to sanctify your people? And this is what Jesus is both interceding for here in this text, that we have a live example written down by uh, the disciple John, and also that we are told about in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, about Jesus interceding work on behalf of his disciples. Remember that a few weeks ago, as we went there, or if you're familiar with Romans 8 or been through that, that uh, Paul uh, uh, worships, he extols the Lord because Jesus is even now at the right hand of God interceding for us to be kept in faith and secure in Christ's love. It's part of his work. It's a part of what he does. And here it is like we have a live example of this kind of prayer that uh, Paul refers to. And, 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 and this prayer here in the text doesn't break into like nice, neat points and sections, does it? So I can't preach it that way. We're just going to have to examine it. It's like one of those, you know, long run-on prayers that you're kind of like, I, I think I know what you're saying, right? I'm guilty of that all the time. But it doesn't. But it is instructive for us as we examine it here that the Father and Son and us are all active participants in what Jesus is uh, praying about here without us also coming to like some synergistic nor fatalistic uh, conclusions about our salvation and sanctification. In other words, uh, not that every person has these equal initiating powerful parts nor that we are just robots in all of this, but rather Jesus just lays it out for us. And I think the, the lesson for us is just to take Jesus' prayer, his words here, at face value, right? That are really going to teach us really kind of two things as we go. That there is an intertwined work between the Father, Son, and us as humans. And that it is also instructive for us how we should pray for ourselves in the midst of living in this world and for one another. Okay. You have your Bibles with us here as we uh, work our way through it. This is what I want us to examine as we learn from this text. First here, write this down. Let's examine the complete work of the Son. And by complete, what we're going to see here is like Jesus, is a, he summarizes his earthly ministry here that has then been finished. And so as we are going here, you probably noticed this here. It's like Jesus is recounting in his prayer what he has done and is going to be doing towards the, the Father. Or he, he's telling God, not that he's just like informing like God is up in heaven, like, oh yeah, I guess I didn't realize that's, that's what you were up to these last you know, three years in your, your, your life, Jesus. No, but he is recounting it for our sake and, uh, and worshiping God for it here. And so let's just work our way through the text. Look here. You can write these down. They're not going to be on the screen. You can write them down if you want or, or uh, uh, just uh, listen in here. But look at what he says first in verse 6. Jesus is speaking. He says this. I have manifested your name, essentially, to the people that you, God, gave me out of the world. And so what's he saying? I came, I have manifested, or I have shown the world what you, God, are like. 
I have displayed your name and by name, the reputation, the character, the attributes, the, uh, the reputation that comes. All of us have a name and, and, uh, and, and certain things associated when they say, oh, Pastor Michael, we, something comes to mind. And so Jesus is saying here, I have come and I have shown the characteristics, the attributes of you. God, I have manifested. I've done that. And that's what we've seen all along the way, right? The disciples uh, ask Jesus, even here at the, in, the, in the upper room, they say, show us the Father. And what's Jesus like? Like, here I am. Not me, but, you know, Jesus, don't look at me. Only imitate me as I imitate Christ, but, uh, right? That's what he's like. I've shown you. I've manifested. Now Jesus is saying, I have done this in my life, right? I've done this to, to the people whom you gave me. But also then jump down to verse 8. He says, for I have given them the words that you gave me. Not only did his life put on display who the Father is, but now Jesus is saying, I have come, and part of my work was to teach, to give the words of life, of eternal life, of, of, of truth, the ones that came from the Father. We saw that back in, in John's teaching as well, where Jesus says, I have not spoken on my own authority. But I have spoken the words that the Father has given me. He also says here in his act, in verse 9, he's like, I am praying for, for them who are them. They're the people whom God the Father has given to Christ. He is not praying for the world. So we've seen that used along in John's teaching, right? The world uh, capturing, you know, not like all of the, you know, the heavenly beings and the, like the physical earth, but the sinful, corrupt patterns and behaviors of our culture, of the world, whatever is the normal prevailing pattern of depravity. He's like, I'm not praying for them right now, but I am praying for the disciples, the people for whom the Father gave to the Son. And in them, then verse 10, he's saying, I am glorified in them. All mine are yours, yours are mine. The equality between the Father and the Son. And he's like, I am being glorified, or my life is being also put on display. My life is being manifested through their changed life. I am glorified. I am on display. This is now being shown here uh, through those people. But then he acknowledges here in verse 11 that I am no longer in the world, right? But he is coming to the Father, a truth that has, he has reiterated over and over that has brought actually trouble to the disciples, trouble that has grieved them, that has brought sorrow as they think their master, their Lord, their rabbi, their teacher, whom they followed now for years is leaving has actually brought them joy. But, he, but Jesus is saying, but, but, but I have kept them in your name, this is verse 12, when I was with them, and so the, he's leaving, but guess what? He has kept them in their name, in the attributes of God. He's guarded them and not lost one, except the one that was, that, uh, that it was destined to happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. We know that as Judas, as we saw in chapter 13, and his betrayal is coming in verse 18. The scripture likely that he's referencing here is uh, being fulfilled is Psalm 41.9. Again, that we looked at as David is talking about his own betrayal. Betrayal of someone close to him. And now Jesus as the son of David also betrayed by this man who's close to him. But also, look here, as Jesus is coming to the father, 
where it did cause joy, now he's saying that it would actually, his going or his coming to the Father would actually be a source of joy, where Jesus' joy of going to the cross would be the joy of the disciples, right? So he is leaving. He reiterates again in verse 14. So we're just working our way through. I have given them your word. He has given it to them. And because of that, the world hates believers, Right? For not living, for living in the world, but not being of the word, but or world, but being of the word. It's again like one of those tongue twisters, right? We're of the word, not of the world. And not only this, not only is he leaving them here, and Jesus is leaving, but he's leaving the disciples, but he's actually sent them, verse 18, into. I have sent them into the world but not just to fend for themselves, because look at his activity in verse 19. I consecrate myself, meaning he's set apart. This word consecrate also, just so you know, is also, it's the same word as sanctify. It's, the ESV is actually helpful here in changing the, the word, but it's, it's, it's all the same. I get why they do it. It's just a better verbal form of, of this. But the consecrator sanctifies to be set apart for special use. Okay, and so Jesus is saying, I consecrate myself. How is he doing? How is Jesus? What is his like life mission? How was he set apart for special use? What could only he do? What did only he do? Die on the cross. He's going himself. Like he's, I am doing this myself. Why? That they may also be consecrated or sanctified in truth. Jesus is doing that so that we also might be set apart in truth. And so now here we have just like this like scope of work as Jesus is outlining it to the Father. Why is this significant? Well, it's because he's Jesus. He's teaching. He's laying it on that. Well, yes, he's summarizing this. But here's the thing. Like this, in, in, in this like briefest form, Jesus has just given us an overview of his complete work where he was sent from the Father to come to live this perfect life to show us who God is and to teach us who God is and how we are to live. And now he is leaving to go die on the cross so that we too might be saved. And essentially what he is highlighting for us is his effective accomplished work jesus i have now father i have now come to the end of my life and in in the earthly ministry and it is complete or as he will say just hours after this hanging on the cross it is finished that's why this is significant He is praying here, showing us that apart from the work of the Son in His earthly ministry, and even now as we we zoom out and see His interceding work here, we would not be saved nor sent into mission, carrying the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. But it is also working in tandem with, here's the second point, the perfect work of the Father. The perfect work of the Father. Write that down there. And by perfect, I don't necessarily mean uh, the Father's pure and faultless activity, though it certainly describes uh, what uh, God is. But in the verbal tense, the perfect tense, right? Or like, oh boy, grammar too. We're going through this piece by piece and grammar here. Yeah. Perfect tense is, a, is, is something that happened in the past that has an ongoing effect, right? As he says, these people that the Father has given, 
is an example of this. And so you have this here of this initiating work of the Father in really just three ways that Jesus references in this passage here, right? And so just let's go back to verse 6 here and kind of work our way through. We know what Jesus did, I have manifested. But what does he say that the Father did? You gave me these people. The Father has given a people to Christ. Or as Titus uh, would, would say in Titus 3, a people for his own possession. And this, this, Jesus is referring here, he says actually multiple times, these people that the, that the Father has given. And it's not just unique to this prayer. He's not like springing it on us as Jesus is like, about to leave. And by the way, the Father did this. No, we've seen it along the way. Back in John chapter 6, here it is on the, on the screen. John 6, 37, in the midst of the feeding of the 5,000 and all that, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Again in verse, or John chapter 10, verse 29. So he's teaching on the good shepherd and Jesus being the good shepherd and the door to the, to the sheep. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. See, the father has these sheep, these people that have been given to Jesus, whom then in verse 8, it is the, uh, or, or, or in verse 16, or sorry, 18, my bad. Along with these people that the Father then sent Jesus to go get. I sent, uh, you sent me into the world. And so then I'm sending them into the world. But also in between there, twice in verse 8 and verse 14, we see that it is the Father who gave Jesus the words, Right? For I have given them the words that you gave me. Again in verse 14, I have given them your word. These things, uh, the words that we've seen along the way of Jesus teaching, the words of eternal life, the words of truth, the words that come with authority. And so why is the Father's work highlighted in this way? And what he did beforehand that has this ongoing effect and is ascending of Christ to get these people because it's highlighting the initiating causative work of the Father in our salvation and in our sanctification and our sending into mission. See, apart from the Father's love for us and sending Jesus, apart from the Father's love for us and and sending Jesus with the words of life, apart from this, where would we be? So Christ is acknowledging this in this rich prayer of what the Father has done and what He has done and intertwined in all of this in light of the complete work of the Son and the perfect work of the Father. Then we also have here, uh, let's examine, here's number three, the response of faith of disciples. Because in the middle of all this too, Jesus is acknowledging how the faith of the disciples in response to the, uh, to the work of the Father and the Son. Just come back to verse 6 then. Jesus saying, I've manifested your name. The people you gave me, yours they were, and you gave them to me. And what did the disciples do? And they have kept your 
in response to Jesus showing the Father, the uh, Father giving these people to the Son. Now they, in response of faith, have kept his word. In verse 7, now they, now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Now they know, right? And they've come to know that Jesus came from the Father and believed the Father sent Jesus. Because of these things, in verse 8, they received these words, right? They have received them, have come to know in truth that you came from me, and they have believed that you sent me. All because of the person and work and the teaching of Jesus, they have responded in this way. But also, it's like, note where they are staying. In order to do this, in verse 11, it's like, no, the disciples there, where, where are they where are they going? I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Jesus is the one leaving. They are staying in the world. But then in verse 16, but they're to be not of the world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And in the middle of all this, then they have joy because of the fulfilled work of Jesus and the perfect work of the Father in the midst of all of this. And so that's how the disciples are responding, and Jesus is praying and thanking God for this. But how then does all of this work, even as the emphasis of Jesus' prayer is on the monergistic initiating work of God in our salvation, in our sending? Well, I think an example from the nursery would do. Matt Carter, in his commentary, uses one similar to this, and I've just adapted it to ourselves. We've got a, a burgeoning kids' ministry next door, don't we? So those of you that serve in kids' ministry, thank you for your service in there. And just imagine yourself in the, in the toddler room this morning, those walkers or the twos and three-year-old room. There's just, like, increasing amount of energy in there. Even as I say, like, imagine yourself in there. Some of you are like, yeah, no, I can't. <laughs> That is not me. Thank you to those that, that do. But imagine you're over there now. And I, you know, my daughter, Savannah, she's one of them. She's two and a half. And let's say you were serving her this morning, and you just asked her some, some questions this morning about, hey, Savannah, did you, did you eat breakfast this morning? She would hopefully say yes on her little two-year-old voice. If she said no, she'd be lying because I fed her breakfast. Did you get dressed? <laughs> yeah, all right. Did you get dressed this morning? Yes, yeah. Did you drive to church this morning? Yes, she would answer yes, and she did, as did if you were to ask any of the colleagues. Yes, they did, all responsive to the initiating work of her parents. For I got her breakfast this morning and got her dressed this morning, and she got in the car uh, and uh, and I uh, drove her to church this morning. And you know, apart from the love and care of parents, where would toddlers be? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of crazy to think about, like, what would it be? You know? Could they survive? Yeah, for a while. But left to themselves, even as we think of, the, you know, just the hilarity that would be, left to themselves, apart from the love and care and kindness of parents, I mean, that's 
It's not an end we even want to mention. And see, the Father, too, gave the Son a world full of toddlers to go get, to die for, to rescue from themselves, from the helpless state. <laughs> That's love, y'all. We think of the, the love that we have for our own kids or our own toddlers, you know, and, 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 and this, it's this love why Jesus left heaven to go get a people who could not save themselves, to go get you and me when we were just rebellious toddlers thinking we were living our lives and it is the Father who invited us to the table of grace, as we who responded in, in submission by lifting our hands and being clothed with Christ's righteousness. We were given the Holy Spirit to live in us, to drive us, to lead us, to guide us in the way that we should go, walking in obedience. See, that's the good news of the gospel. That's apart from the work of the Father and Son. You and I would not know the joy of salvation. And the glorious work of our sanctification and being, growing in Christ and being sent on mission. And, and maybe this morning, like you're, that God is bringing you to that realization. I mean, I may be, I'm, just, I'm just like a toddler trying to live life on my own. And yet, the Father, by the work of the Spirit in your life, is causing you to see what it is that Jesus completed or accomplished in his life because he loves you. Because he came and got you and made all this possible. And we say, I don't, want to, I don't want to live like a toddler anymore. I want to walk in the ways of the Lord. I put my faith in Christ. Then let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day where you experience the joy that Jesus is talking about being fulfilled in your life. Christ knows all this. He knows the intertwined work. He knows what is happening here, and that's why he prays. See, here's, here's the final work that, that we see here is that's the interceding prayers of the Son. To flip over your notes, it's on the backside of the interceding prayers of the Son. And so in the midst of all of this theology, in the midst of Jesus teaching and acknowledging what the Father's done, what He's done, and how the disciples have responded, He asks the Father for a few things. Three things in, uh, specifically, but that we could even boil down into two things, to keep and consecrate them, or to secure and to sanctify these people whom you have given me. See, encrusted in them are the gems of these requests here. The first one being in verse 11, where Jesus addresses God as Holy Father. The only time you find this in, in your Bible, Holy Father, keep them in your name. That's his first thing. Keep them in your name. And as we, you know, it's the name that the Father and Son share. It's that reputation, as we said, that character. Essentially what Jesus is appealing to is God's sovereign goodness and, and, and grace to, to save someone. It's that that has kept them so that they would be united or unified in the same way that the Father and Son 
are united, right? Even as we are one, let them be one with an unbreakable unity that is in them. He's saying, keep them. You, God, keep them in this truth. Keep them in yourself. But he asks to be kept in a second way here in verse 15. Do you see that? He does not ask something. What does he not ask the Lord to do? I do not ask that you take them out of the world. What? Come on. I'm tired of this world. God, like, get us out of here, right? It's not a prayer. Like, Jesus like, I'm not asking for that. No escape, right? But that you keep them from the evil one. God, keep them in your name and keep them from the evil one. Keep them close and keep him at bay. It's the same thing he prayed in the, in the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Remember the, the Lord's Prayer? It's the exact same uh, uh, word here in, in formation of in, in, in Greek. Keep them from the evil one. You know it, Matthew 6, 13, right? And Lord, what? lead us not into temptation, or lead, but deliver us from evil, or literally the evil, in both instances. Oftentimes in the Lord's Prayer, we just say, deliver us from evil, and we drop the the, and here uh, they, they translate it from the evil one. But it's exactly the same, the evil, the evil one. Keep us from that, the sin that entangles us, the evil one and his attacks, spiritual warfare. God, keep them close and keep sin at bay while they are in the world. Because he asks for a third thing, then in verse 17, what does he say? Sanctify them in the truth. And so God, do this sanctifying, setting apart, making holy work in the truth. Your word is truth. And so sanctify them in the word where your truth is found. God, use this word, the Bible of God's word recorded for us. Sanctify or consecrate your people. Now remember, it's, it's all this, the same word here, okay? The ESV is, like I said, unhelpful in, in this way. And so what is he asking for? That we too would be set apart for special use. Now, you probably like me have decorated already for Christmas. Or some of you not, some of you like holding out, you haven't decorated for Christmas yet? No, everybody has? Wow. How many of y'all decorated for Christmas before Thanksgiving? I don't even want to see it. I can't even see it. Now, but we all have. Some of you have. I'm teasing. You can decorate whenever you want. You can decorate all year round. You leave your Christmas decorations up all year round. It's okay. It's a great reminder. I don't know. Maybe you, like me, when you, you have special Christmas dishes. Do you have any of those? We have some, not many, but uh, a few mugs and plates and things that are like cute and have snowmen on them and other things that are memorable. And so when we were decorating, we got those out of the, the box and they are set aside for special use. Not like the fine china, we only use it once, but you know, they're just like the festive things. Added. But after we took them out of the attic, we didn't just go ahead and use them. Maybe my kids did, I don't think they did, but we unpacked them and they got put into the dishwasher because they had the attic grime and other things, you know. Hopefully we washed them before we put them in the box, you know, to, uh, I don't remember about that long ago, but, uh, you know. But they needed to be washed. 
set aside for special use for this time. From the viewpoint of the, you know, from, from the, 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 the cups and plates and all that, and the dishwasher as it went through all of its cycle, like it's probably thinking to itself, like, man, all the fury of heaven and hell have been unleashed on me as this water and these jets are spraying me and all this abrasive soap and then this heating element that's heating up. And, uh, and so, too, is like our sanctification, Right? being set aside for special use, being sent into the world with the gospel of being a light to our co-workers and our neighbors. And sometimes that comes with a, you know, a dishwasher cycle where the heat gets turned up so we get dried out after we've been washed by the water of the word. And God is doing this sanctifying work in us all throughout our life. And this is what Jesus is praying for. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify. I'm going to consecrate myself now in the truth of what happened at the cross, in the good news of Jesus Christ. Sanctify them. But make no mistake about what he is not praying for, right? Just just look at this. It is not his will to uh, grant these two dangers that we are often prone to. Even if he prays, look at verse 15. He's, He's, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Right? Like we are in the world. Nor is he, uh, nor, nor does he say, like, look here in verse, uh, in verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So he, it's like he's, he's acknowledging two things that we can be prone to, where we completely isolate or separate our lives to where we have no overlap with unbelievers, we're a whole, we go through all of our life, we come to church, we work with believers, we do all these things that we have literally like insulated our life from the world. Jesus said, I'm not, not asking that. They're in the world, but they're not of the world because the opposite danger is just like assimilating or conforming our life to the prevailing patterns of the world, so much so that there is no distinction between our life and that of an unbeliever. That from an outside observer of your life, if they're looking, they'd say, you know what, I, I don't know. Do they follow Jesus or, or, or not? And he's saying, that's not what I'm asking for. For how could we be salt and light in either of those situations? But rather, he asks that they be sanctified in the truth as they are sent into the world. Not of it, not out of it but into it. And so what's his prayer? His prayer is that we live a set-apart life while we have a faithful presence within the world. These things that we have seen all along the way in, uh, in John and through Jesus' teaching, here they are. He's praying for this. You know, and, and there's like no more time in, in our life when this becomes very real for Christians. Right? Because on the one side, you have those that are like, I'm not celebrating Christmas at all. I'm not going to decorate. I'm not going to do this. This is just pagan roots. And we're not going to, we're not, we're not, we're not even going to acknowledge it here at all. Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th. And so, right, you're right. But we live in this world. But also, there's this temptation here in Christmas to just like become totally captivated by all the things materialistic. And celebrate Christmas and all the giving and outdoing our neighbors with their decorations and having bigger and better and brighter, you know, yard decorations and bigger and better and brighter gifts for our kids. And and, and the whole thing is devoid of the incarnation. 
And that's just one example. And, and honestly, I don't have like the, here's the only way to live faithful presence with it. Okay, do this and not do these things and all that. Those are some things you're going to have to discuss with your small group and get into the middle of, of, of how do we then have a faithful presence within the world and use this season for gospel purposes, being sent on mission. And apart from the work of the Father and Son, we can't do that. And Jesus knows that it's hard, not just in Christmas, but in all things in life, where separating and conforming are the easy ways, but he knows we need the help of God. That's why Jesus is here praying for his disciples, not because they're going to celebrate Christmas, but because he's about to leave and they're about to have their lives turned upside down and, and have to live this life away from their master and Lord now who they've had, uh, you know, the, who they've done 24-7 life with. And Jesus is praying for them in the same way that he's praying for us, even now interceding for us at the right hand of so this gives us some very practical application for how we are to pray for ourselves in the midst of this season and to pray for one another in the midst of all of our life situations. God, keep us and consecrate us. This just becomes the like springboard. God, keep us close. Keep the evil one away and consecrate her. Sanctify us by your truth as we live in the midst of this world. And so what I want us to do as we bring our service to a close here is to pray this way and to pray according to God's will and ask that these same things that Jesus is asking for will be true in our lives. God, keep us and consecrate us. We've been told in the Upper Room Discourse, in these chapters, three times to pray according to the will of God in the name of Christ and you will receive it. And this is God's will for us to pray this way. If Jesus is praying, then we sure would want to pray this way as well.